And if you would please turn in your Bibles to our scripture reading this morning, which is taken from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. 1 Peter 5, 6 to 11. And then our sermon passage is 2 Samuel 16, verse 15, through chapter 17, verse 29. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 15, to chapter 17, verse 29. Brothers and sisters, you are about to hear God's Word. You are about to hear the Lord speak, not me speak. But God speak. He's about to talk to you. If you were sitting in front of God, you probably would be sitting, you'd be standing before his heavenly throne. Maybe bowed down before him. Rest assured, you would give your full attention to him when he speaks to you. Well, brothers and sisters, you were doing just that. You were before his throne, even while still here on earth. So please give your full attention to God as he speaks to you through his word. 1 Peter 5, 6-11 Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now turning to 2 Samuel chapter 16, beginning reading in verse 15, and reading through the end of chapter 17. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel, what shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. 
Then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, There has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant man, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you, from Dan to Beersheba, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he, can, he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring the ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, that The council of Hushai the archite is better than the council of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, Do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at Engrogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Baharim, who had had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They have gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. When David arose and all the people who were with him, and they, they, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Then David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra the Ishmaelite who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother. And Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobi the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Machir the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai the Gileadite from Rogalim, brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey and curds, and sheep and cheese from the herd, for David, said, David and the people with him to eat. For they said, The people are hungry and weary and thirsty, 
in the wilderness. Thus ends the reading of God's most holy word. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we are thankful for you speaking to us. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that we can hold our Bibles in our hands, that we can read along, we can hear your word read aloud. We pray, Lord, that you would help us never to take this blessing for granted. We pray now for your blessing upon the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the ones who hear. We pray that you'd bless and be with the one who preaches. We ask, O Lord, that you would be exalted as your word is proclaimed, both through the preaching of it and in our hearts as we hear it. We pray that you would instruct us, that you would encourage us, that you would cause us to grow. We pray that you would strengthen us and help us to feed on the meat of your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Now, a few weeks back, in chapter 15, we read of how David's servant, Hushai, caught up with David as he was just reaching the summit of the Mount of Olives. Hushai wanted to go with David as he left the city of Jerusalem, as he and the rest of the people fled. But David asked Hushai to return to Jerusalem and to feign service to Absalom. He wanted Hushai to go back in and to act as a spy. And David expressed his hope in chapter 15, verse 34, that Hushai would defeat the counsel of Ahithophel that he gave to Absalom. Now David had prayed just prior to Hushai coming to him that Yahweh would turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And the means by which God might do it, David had just sent back to pledge his loyalty to Absalom. So the stage was set back in chapter 15 for what's taking place in our passage today. Our passage gives us the Lord's answer to David's prayer. Now, there's much more in the passage than that, of course, but the brief reign of Absalom comes to an end shortly after the conclusion of today's passage. Indeed, the counsel of Ahithophel has been thwarted. Chapter 15 also contains the account of David fleeing Jerusalem uh, when he received report of one of his messengers who told him the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. David and his people, you remember, they are fleeing. They are on the road. And immediately after getting this message, David called his household into action and everyone escaped Jerusalem before Absalom could get there. Everyone, that is, except ten of David's concubines whom he had left behind to take care of his house. Now that detail found in chapter 15, verse 16, proves to be crucial in our passage. It's safe to say that David never imagined that these women would be so heinously treated the way that they were by Absalom. He never imagined that Ahithophel would give the counsel that he gave to Absalom regarding these women. But it shows the depravity of both Absalom and Ahithophel. And it reminds us that atrocities during sieges and warfare have happened throughout history, not just in the past couple hundred years. But as much as Absalom's and Ahithophel's depravity is on display, what's even more important is the brief but definitive statement about God's sovereign rule and how he has ordained the defeat of the enemies of his people. And that brings us to 
the proposition, the statement that I want you to consider, to keep in mind as we work our way through the sermon today. No matter how difficult your life may get, always remember that God has ordained the defeat of all His and your enemies. Let me say that again. No matter how difficult your life may get, always remember that God has ordained the defeat of all His and your enemies. The sermon just has two points today. The first, confounded by counsel. And the second, protection and provision. Again, confounded by counsel, that's the first point of the sermon. The second, protection and provision. So let's look at the first point of the sermon today, confounded by counsel. Chapter 16, verse 15, describes Absalom's entry into Jerusalem. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. Ahithophel was introduced for the first time back in chapter 15. And according to chapter 15, verse 12, he had been a counselor to David. He was one of David's wise men, wise counselors, one to whom David looked. But he had defected to Absalom as soon as Absalom summoned him. Now, in one sense, it seems strange that someone as close to David as Ahithophel was would betray him. But Ahithophel, we need to remind ourselves, or perhaps here for the first time, Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And as a counselor to David, as one in David's inner circles, it's reasonable to think that Ahithophel, unlike most of the rest of the population of Jerusalem and Israel, Ahithophel probably knew what had happened, what had taken place, what David had done to his granddaughter. Chapter 11, verse 3 says that Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam. And chapter 23, verse 34 says that Eliam was the son of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel clearly was still unhappy about what David had done to Bathsheba and his now deceased son-in-law. He was now on team Absalom and was on the verge of telling Absalom to commit an atrocity, presumably for the purpose of getting revenge on David. But before we get to that, verse 16 says that Hushai, David's servant and friend, arrived in Jerusalem and presented himself to the king, saying, Long live the king. And Absalom, understandably, is suspicious of Hushai, knowing how close he had been to his father. And so he said to Hushai in verse 17, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Now that word friend, it's important. It was used earlier in uh, chapter 15 to describe Hushai. He was both a servant of David, but he was also David's friend. He was, uh, in a sense, a professional friend. He was one of David's counselors, one of his advisors. Hushai's response in verses 18 and 19 is a master class in ambiguous statements. He tells Absalom, No, for whom Yahweh and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Apparently he said just what Absalom wanted to hear, because Absalom didn't question Hushai any further. He didn't send him away out of his presence. But Hushai's answer was truthful because he was speaking of David despite Absalom thinking he was speaking about him. So now Hushai has been welcomed into Absalom's inner circle. He's in a position to defeat the counsel of Ahithophel that Ahithophel would be giving to Absalom 
But unfortunately, he's not able to defeat Ahithophel's council quickly enough. In verse 20, Absalom asked Ahithophel, give your counsel, what shall we do? It's a fairly innocuous question. It's doubtful that Absalom knew the answer that was forthcoming. And the answer that Ahithophel gives is not innocuous at all. As bizarre as what Ahithophel tells Absalom next is, there's no indication that Absalom or anyone else questioned it. It doesn't seem that anyone pushed back on what Ahithophel suggested or told him to do. And that's because of what the author of 2 Samuel says in verse 23. Ahithophel's counsel was so good that it was as if a person was consulting with God himself. And so the people esteemed his wisdom. They followed his words. In response to Absalom's question about what they should do next, Ahithophel tells Absalom to take each of David's ten concubines whom he had left behind to take care of his house and have relations with them. But Absalom is to do what is already a heinous act in front of of the whole city. They pitch a tent for Absalom on the roof of the king's house, the very roof from which David first saw Bathsheba, so that everyone in the city would know what Absalom was doing. Tell me that Ahithophel did not have an axe to grind. Absalom was trying to humiliate his father. He was trying to show all Israel that he had prevailed over David. But we shouldn't lose sight of the abuse and the humiliation of these women. They didn't sign up for this. These women had been in a position of subjugation for who knows how long. They had no choice in the matter. Even as being concubines of David's. And now they're being treated to behavior that is truly atrocious. But this type of behavior is rampant today. We hear reports of similar behavior coming from battlefields half a world away. But ultimately, this behavior is the behavior of brutes and beasts. This is the consequence now of a century and a half or more worth of being told that we are just animals. And we might as well behave like it. But as we can see, people have been behaving this way, men have been behaving this way for quite some time. This type of behavior is not about union. Certainly not about love. It's about power and subjugation. And there is a good reason why it's a war crime, and anyone guilty of it, whether they are our boys or enemies of ours, they should be held accountable. But as much as Absalom thought he was dominating his father's concubines by taking them as his own, it was actually Ahithophel who had dominated Absalom by counseling him to do such a thing. Ahithophel was emboldened. He followed up by giving further counsel to Absalom in chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. In these verses, he counseled Absalom to let him choose 10,000 men, and Ahithophel and these men would go after David that very night. After killing David, Ahithophel and his men would, break, would bring back all of the people who had fled with David from Jerusalem. And so Ahithophel's plan here, his new plan, his next plan, was to have a light mobile force led by Ahithophel that would move out quickly and capture and kill David, thus cutting off the head of the now opposition party, bringing David's reign to an end within a day. It's a solid plan. It's surgical. Going in with 
with a knife rather than a club. It's described by the author of 2 Samuel as good counsel in verse 14. But Absalom wants to see what Hushai has to say about it. And this is an interesting development because Absalom and all the people believed that Ahithophel's counsel was as if it were the word of God. They, they trusted it such. It's significant that, that Absalom wants to hear from this other counselor of David. And so he summons Hushai in verse 5 and he tells Absalom that Ahithophel's plan is not good. And then he appeals to Absalom's ego. He says in verse 8, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. And Hushai goes on to say that David has undoubtedly hidden somewhere away from his people so that it would be very difficult to locate him. Ahithophel's small fighting force would get bogged down searching for David, and David's fighting men would have the opportunity to inflict casualties upon them. Hushai said this. He said that this will lead people to say that there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom, and that the hearts of the men who follow Absalom, their, their hearts will melt. And then Hushai gives his counsel on what Absalom should do, beginning in verse 11. He says that all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, should be gathered to Absalom, not Ahithophel. Hushai depicts a massive army, vastly outnumbering the the measly 12,000 of Ahithophel's plan. And he puts Absalom at the lead of this massive army. And he shows how Absalom, with this huge army, is going to vanquish David's Uh, army on the fields of battle. He goes on to say that if David should withdraw to a walled city, that with this vast army they would get ropes and they would pull the city to pieces. They would reduce it to rubble. They would take David out of it. And Hushai's plan was appealing to Absalom's military advisors, to Absalom himself. They said in verse 14, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. With this plan which was not described as the author of 2 Samuel, Ahithophel's good counsel was defeated. And that brings us to the second and the final point, protection and provision. In describing Ahithophel's counsel as good in verse 14, the author says, For Yahweh had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that Yahweh might bring harm upon Absalom. The clear implication is that had Absalom taken Ahithophel's advice instead of Hushai's, he would have defeated David. Ahithophel's plan, his counsel was a good plan. It probably, it would have won the day. But the Lord saw to it that Absalom was confounded and confused by counsel that was subpar by comparison. And the main effect of Hushai's plan was that it bought them time. Hushai had had to get the spy network going. He had to get his information from where he was in Jerusalem to where David was, now on the western uh, side of the Jordan River. David had to get all of his people packed up and get across the Jordan River, over to the east side and into safer territory. Absalom, following Hushai's counsel, meant that David would have days rather than hours to get his people to safety. So while David had prayed that God would turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness, and while he did send Hushai back to Jerusalem in the hopes that Hushai might be of some service, David had no idea exactly how God was going to use Hushai. 
God was protecting David in ways of which David was unaware. He couldn't possibly imagine. And God was doing so, as our passage makes pretty clear, despite the fact that David had deserved much, if not all, of what was happening to him. David was suffering from the consequences of bad, sinful decisions that he had made. But God protected him from the worst of those consequences. And God does the same for you and me. He does the same for all who believe in Jesus Christ. We may suffer some temporal, temporary consequences in this life for bad, sinful decisions, but we will suffer no ultimate consequences, negative, adverse consequences for bad decisions, choices we make. Beginning in in verse 15, Hushai starts the process of informing David of Absalom's plans. He speaks with Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. They send word to their sons, Jonathan and Ahimaaz. And they were nearly discovered by Absalom's people when a young man saw the priest's sons. They were nearly thwarted by this, but Jonathan and Ahimaaz were able to hide in a well in Baharim. They eventually get to David, they tell him what Absalom is planning to do, and David mobilizes his people, and all of David's people were able to get safely across the Jordan River to the east side. Verse 24 says that they made their way to Mahanaim, which is well to the east of the Jordan River. And at about the same time as they're arriving in Mahanaim, Absalom was just crossing the Jordan River in pursuit. We read there that Joab, David's general, had not defected to Absalom. And so Absalom put his cousin, Joab's cousin, Amasa, in charge of the army, according to verses 25, verse 25. Verse 26 says that Absalom and his people encamped in the land of Gilead, which was a region just to the north of Mahanaim. And in the last three verses of chapter 17, we read of how David and his people were provided for. There's no indication that David had asked these three men and their people to provide aid. It seems that they simply saw the need. They decided to help David and his people. They brought an abundance, a superabundance of food. They brought them everything that they could imagine, beds to sleep on, water to drink. And so even though it's not explicitly stated, the implication in verses 27 to 29 is that God saw the needs of his people and he provided for them. But like David, your enemies... My enemies are legion. I'm not necessarily talking about other people here. Though there are some who hate Christians just because we're Christians. At any given moment, we could be plunged into poverty, into homelessness. Our homes could collapse on top of us. We might be on the receiving end of terrible news. David had lost everything and was now living on the good graces of others. And this had happened in a remarkably swift time for him. But to top it all off, all of these enemies that we have, our chief enemy, our adversary, the devil, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter 5, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And because of this, we are told, Peter warns us, he tells us that we are to be sober-minded, we're to be watchful, we're to be ready for when the the devil comes after us. But we are also to keep in mind, Peter tells us, that after we've suffered a a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You, your and my enemies are nothing to be laughed at or mocked. But they are not greater than God. And our enemies, our true enemies, are God's enemies. 
He will not permit us to be devoured. He has ordained your salvation just as he ordained Jacob's salvation. And that means that he has also ordained the defeat of your and his enemies. That means that he has ensured your salvation through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ suffered as a consequence, but not like David. Jesus Christ, David's greater son, suffered as a consequence for sins that he did not commit. David suffered. He suffered greatly because of sins that he did commit. Jesus suffered. He was humiliated. He was punished. He was stricken. He was beaten. He was pierced. He was stabbed. He endured the wrath of his father, not because of anything that he had done, but because of your and my sins. And he did this, brothers and sisters, so that you and I would not have to suffer the ultimate consequence. Eternal death in the pit of hell. That is good news. Because as we're reminded in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All of these are enemies, yes, of God's people. But who will separate us from the love of Christ? Not any of these. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, in tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your greatest enemy is eternal death itself. But Christ Jesus suffered that death for you on the cross so that you may have life. And that is good news. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the fact that you have confused our enemies. That you are in the process of confounding them. You thwart their plans against us. No weapon that they have deceived will prosper against us. We thank you, Lord, that you protect us and preserve us. Even as you protected and preserved David, that fallen, fallible human being. Even as you protected him, so you protect us. And we are grateful, O Lord. We do not deserve it. We have not earned it. We are thankful that it is your gift for us. We pray that you would teach us to walk out of gratitude and obedience. 
pray that you would cause us to glorify your holy name. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.